Hi, this is Brandy Schantz, and you're listening to Living Chronic. Today, I'm here with Maria Pendolino. She is a voice actor, an award-winning voice actor, and uh, runs Voice by Maria. Welcome to Living Chronic. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So um, I love your story. You have psoriatic arthritis. Yes. Uh, when were you diagnosed with uh, with that? So I was diagnosed when I was 22 years old. Um, I had just graduated from college. I grew up in Buffalo. I went to college in upstate New York. And then I moved to New York City. And it was my first time living in a kind of majority pedestrian type of environment, a metropolitan mm -hmm. urban environment. Um, I definitely grew up in kind of the suburban wasteland where you park in your garage, you get in your car, you drive where you're going, you drive back, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was walking around New York City, you know, walking five blocks, 10 blocks, up and down the stairs to the subway. And I started to experience just like aching knee pain, ankle pain. Um, I had like this weird swelling on the side of my knees. And, um, at first, <laughs> the first doctor I saw told me that the problem was the old Navy flip-flops that I was wearing. Oh, goodness. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, we're, I'm doing a lot more walking than I'm used to. Um, I'm a fat person. So I'm, you know, I'm carrying around a lot of weight on my knees and my ankles. Um, maybe I need better footwear. So I went and got like custom orthotics made and that made the problem worse. They were just oh, aching. My legs and my knees were aching. Um, so it was a it was a journey to get the diagnosis. Um, one doctor said that my kneecaps sat too high and that was the problem. Uh, another doctor said that I had a like strange and rare cartilage issue. Um, mm. And I was just not getting the right answers from folks and I was not finding relief. Um, so I actually paid out of pocket to see the like number one rated orthopedist in New York City, according to like New York Magazine, like a fancy Fifth Avenue office. And uh, he looked at my x-rays and he said, I don't think you have a orthopedic problem. I think you have a blood problem. And Ooh. he gave me the name of a doctor to see at the NYU Hospital for Joint Diseases and Rheumatology. And when I described all of my symptoms and everything, uh, that had been happening to me, uh, the doctor said, is there anything else? Is there anything else in your entire medical history, even if it's not related to your, your knee pain, your ankle pain? Is there anything else you can think of? And I said, well, I have psoriasis. You know, it's very, it's very mild. It shows up on my scalp. Sometimes I get patches on my, you know, elbows and my ankles, but you know, I'm lucky that I don't have like lesions all over my body or anything <laughs> like that. And he like whipped around in his chair grabbed a pamphlet and handed it to me and it said psoriatic arthritis. And Ooh. I opened it and it had all of the symptoms that I had been experiencing. And then also like frequently appears in people who also have psoriasis. And I was like, aha. And it was like the light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was a journey to get that diagnosis, but yeah, it happened in my early twenties. And I think it's, that's true for most of us. It's always that journey getting to your diagnosis. Um, I wish it were easier. It never is. I feel like that's one of the biggest battles we have in life. Get our diagnosis and figure out where from there. So at this point, you're living in New York City. You just graduated college. And now you find out you have psoriatic arthritis. How did it change how you went about your life at all 22 years old? Yeah, I think, you know, as 
I think as many people with, you know, chronic illnesses or autoimmune diseases discover, you know, it's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. There were, there were days at the early part, you know, of my diagnosis and the early stages of my disease where I didn't even notice it. You know, there were days that um, I wasn't in pain. There were days that uh, were fine. And then there were days that were like, absolutely not fine. You know, New York City is known as being a very like hot, humid place in the summer. You know, that humidity, you know, really did a number on my joints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I start that that was kind of like my first introduction to like the whole medical industrial complex, you know, prior mm-hmm. to that, you know, I had been the kind of person who would like go to the dentist two times a year, get your annual physical, started seeing the OBGYN when I was like 16. But like, other than that, like I had been a relatively like healthy kid, healthy teen, healthy young adult. So like, I didn't have any experience or exposure to all the things that make up the the wild complexity of the American healthcare system. Um, I remember one time like getting a, a bill back from someone Um, you know, because the specific, like the, the specific, like one provider I had seen at a practice was like not in network with my insurance, but like Mm -hmm. nobody told me that. So I get like a bill for like, I don't know, like $1,200 for a 15 minute appointment. And I'm like, what is this? You know, so you, you learn it's the baptism by fire, right? Like nobody prepares you for that. No one teaches you that. Um, so I think it, you know, it's it started out being like, okay, I've got I've got this thing that I have to pay attention to. I now have this additional emotional labor of like managing my care and then all of the paperwork and finances and things that go mm-hmm. al- along with it. I was very fortunate at that time that I had a good job with good insurance. So, you know, I was able to get care and medication and things like that. Um uh but I had a kind of I had a, a a situation that really changed the course of my treatment. At that time, I was taking Humira mm-hmm. um, and doing the uh, the semi monthly injections and getting you know them shipped to me in cold storage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one day that I was just walking down the street in New York City with a friend, and my vision just went completely blurry. It was as if my eyes were underwater. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was like, Is something wrong with my contacts? Like what what's going on? And then, you know, as we got back to our office, I started to experience numbness starting from like the very, very tips of my fingers, moving up my hand, up my arm, all the way to the point where like I couldn't move my arms anymore. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend of mine from college and I was like, hi, I'm getting in a cab. I'm going to the emergency room at NYU. Can you meet me there? Like, you know, I don't have any family in New York City. This is definitely a situation where like you normally would like reach out to a parent and be like, please help. Um and I spent several months seeing specialist after specialist. I saw a, you know, a, a special hematologist. I saw a, um, a, a neuro ophthalmologist. I saw a neurologist. I had a ton of appointments with my rheumatologist and everything was kind of inconclusive. And yep. the decision was that it may have been Humira changing mm-hmm. my blood chemistry mm-hmm. and changing um, you know, my, my body's ability to clot and whether my clotting factor was off. It was, it was this whole thing. So I stopped taking Humira. And at that time there weren't a lot of other options that didn't have the same mechanism of action. Right. Um, psoriatic arthritis, psoriatic arthritis treatment has come a really long way in the last 10 years. And there's several mm-hmm. new 
options. You know, you've got your Oteslas, your Rinvokes, yes. your Cosentix, like so many more options besides just at that time, it was like Humira and Brel Remicade. Like those, those were yep. your choices. So I stopped taking something for, for active uh, treatment and then moved on to just symptom management, which was, you know, a lot of Advil, a lot of um, mm-hmm. physical therapy, tissue massage, things like that. Many, many years later, <laughs> my sister shared with me that uh, she had a migraine aura and her migraine aura mimicked the symptoms that I had described um, from this episode that I thought was caused by Humira. Mm-hmm. Her vision went blurry and her arms went numb. And I said, that is very interesting. And then in 2019, I had another episode where my vision went blurry I was sitting in front of my computer and suddenly it was as if a screensaver had started on my computer mm-hmm. and I was seeing these waves like go across the screen. And then I started to feel the numbness in my arms. Mm-hmm. So essentially 12 years prior, I had been taken off a medication that was working because mm-hmm. it was assumed that it was that that caused this episode that I had. Yes. And actually it turned out to be a migraine aura just completely misdiagnosed. So that kind of changed a lot of things for me because by being off of an active treatment like Humira for the number of years that I was, it allowed a lot more joint degradation to progress because at that time I was only able to manage the symptoms versus addressing the root cause. So it had, it had a really impactful place in my um, my chronic health journey and also my disability journey. Cause ultimately that led to my joints degrading to the point where I needed to have a bilateral knee replacement at age 32. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, a, it was really that roller coaster of ups and downs, like the good days, the bad days, and then moving towards, you know, more, more chronic health issues that led to like disability progression. And it moved yes. fast, which I think, you know, people, arthritis is interesting because I think people think of arthritis a lot as the osteoarthritis that we all know from, Mm -hmm. you know, the Tylenol commercials and old people gardening and like rubbing their hands. Like that's, that's the resulting arthritis that comes with the joint damage, but the autoimmune arthritis that we have in, you know, rheumatoid arthritis in um, uh, like spondylosing ankylitis and of the psoriatic arthritis, all of those types of things, you know, you have this root issue that then causes that resulting joint pain. And the the goal is to stop that root issue from causing, you know, further damage. And I really got, I really got taken off track, you know, by the medical community missing a very kind of easy, easy recognizing a diagnosis of a a migraine aura. But because I wasn't someone who had migraines, that's not part of my, not part of my medical history, you know, that stone was like left uncovered, which is, you know, a, a sad story. I've, I've spoken to a lot, I've spoken to about it with my therapist a lot and I've come to a good place yeah. with it, but it, it was a, it was a real turning point in my chronic health journey. It's interesting. I've learned the hard way that medicine really is a soft science. It's a soft science and, you know, we're just doing our best to, to land somewhere in the vicinity of what our actual problem is. I did have a reaction to Humira that caused the same symptoms you had. Plus I lost my ability to walk all my muscles Mm. seized up. I started getting lupus rash and things like that. 
but it took doctors 19 months to diagnose that, mm. even though it's pretty well known. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me to learn the way I have how difficult it is to get to a diagnosis, how soft the science really is around medicine. And, you know, different doctors can come up with different solutions and any one of them may be correct or not. But the one thing that's consistent with all of us is it's difficult. And there's a lot of time spent with our therapists trying to get through what just happened to us in the medical community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also just recognizing that, um, you know, doctors aren't perfect, right? Not, not everyone is up to date on all of the latest everything. It would be impossible to be. And at the end of the day, you know, you really have to be your number one patient advocate and your number one cheerleader. I, I believe very strongly that your relationship with your medical practitioners, A, has to be functional. And you Mm -hmm. really have to find someone who you believe is listening to you, who you believe shares your goals and your vision for your health and, um, doesn't deal in, doesn't deal in absolutes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's something that I've experienced as a fat person in this world who also, you know, um, has chronic illness and disability. A lot of times they can't get past the weight, like the weight has to be addressed before anything else. Um, prior, prior to having my knee surgery, um, you know, I saw three surgeons who just flatly said that they would not perform any surgery for me at the current weight that I was at because, you know, they're managing to numbers and outcomes and they don't want someone on the operating table who might not have the most desirable outcome. Mm-hmm. Don't look at the fact that the person can't walk anymore and that the person right. is in excruciating pain. No, just dismiss the hat and stick to the outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. So I think finding finding healthcare providers who are who share your vision and want to you know help you achieve the things that you wish to achieve and then recognizing that it's a partnership you know i've sent my rheumatologist articles that i've read on the patient portal and i was mm-hmm. like here's something interesting and i shared it with him i actually remember um there was an episode of keeping up with the kardashians where kim kardashian was possibly being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis because she was having joint pain and she has mm-hmm. psoriasis and I shared it with him and I was like, I feel like this is an interesting thing for you to know about if it's not in your periphery, if only because she could potentially be an enormous patient ambassador for Absolutely. bringing attention to a condition that's widely misunderstood and is not as you know prevalent and talked about as other chronic health conditions. So yeah, I went to the patient portal and sent like an e-news article to my rheumatologist. And I think that's part of what it means to build a partnership with your yes. healthcare providers and like, you know, be, be speaking the same language, but recognizing that they are human too, and mm-hmm. they're learning with you and they are not God, you know, whatever, whatever God or higher being that you may or may not believe in, you know, they are, they are not the absolute. And right. I think recognizing that and working with them instead of just taking anything that a medical provider says to you as just like pure, pure truth, the gospel, whatever. Um, I think the other way, having a partnership is a much healthier relationship when um, interacting with the medical community. I think that's what's really important to say also, because many of us, it takes too long to recognize that. We go to the doctor, the doctor says, well, I don't see anything wrong with you. And you just shrug and think, well, maybe it's in my head. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm, you know, making this up. But the reality is that doctor may just not know what it is that's wrong with you. And you know your body best. 
I wish I'd known that, you know, day one. Yeah, I think I would have, I would have loved a high school class about like persistence, persistence, Mm -hmm. just persistence in life. Like instead of calculus, like maybe let's talk about like persistence and navigating institutional systems and how to handle bureaucracy and when to take notes and when to keep copies of things and how to balance your checkbook or whatever else, like just these life skills. Lessons, yes. You know, if you, if you didn't, if you never had a parent navigate the medical industrial complex, if you didn't witness that as a child, how do you Absolutely. know how to go into your adulthood and handle that? How do you know how to, you know, receive a bill and not just pay it and actually call and talk to someone about and it? Say, like hey, who teaches you how to do that? No, you're right. And I think another point that is not made enough is, and it's especially so with women, but it can be with anybody. You know, often you, you know, walk into a doctor's office and especially if you maybe don't have much of an education or, you know, don't come from a certain socioeconomic background, you get easily intimidated. And I myself have been talked down to by doctors. And, you know, I've said, wait a minute, I didn't go to medical school, but I'm a pretty intelligent person. I have an MBA. I know how to read. I don't need you to talk down to me. Um, and I know how to say that now, but uh, I think many of us are scared when we walk in there, when the doctor starts talking down to you and say, no, I said this, a lot of people don't know how to stand up to him and say, no, I don't care because I'm telling you this. Yeah. I think it, it can be intimidating for sure. Down. There's a, yeah. there's a power structure at play. There's an mm-hmm. inherent power dynamic. Absolutely. I mean, you walk into the doctor's office, usually they call me Brandy, and then I turn around and say, hi, Dr. Smith. And that sets up the power structure right there. Yep. It really does. So it does change so much of your life, and your life does progress more and more as a disabled person. I don't think it hit me personally that I was disabled when I was first diagnosed with Crohn's. It wasn't until I was going to my doctor saying, I can't get to work. I can't get to work. What am I supposed to do? I can't work from home. You know, this was before COVID. And the doctor just looked at me and said, most people just apply for disability. And that was it. That was all I was told. Um, Of course, you are a very, very successful voice actor. And I know you, I think, did you found the database for disabled voice actors? Yeah. So I'm one of the kind of founding admin members of this resource. We basically... Um, you know, wanted to answer the question for, uh, you know, casting directors, producers, people in entertainment, when they are producing some piece of media, whether that is a, you know, animated cartoon, a video game, uh, a documentary, or, you know, any anything where a disabled story is going to be told. Um, I think the disabled community is getting louder and louder and louder and saying we would like disabled performers and creatives to be telling this story. Um, Mm -hmm. The community has kind of adopted the mantra of like nothing about us without us. Right. Right. Um, The one in four coalition um, out of Hollywood is a great nonprofit organization. That's doing a lot of advocacy around disabled representation in media. And, you know, studies show that one in four Americans, so 25% of Americans have at least one disability, whether that's an invisible disability or a visible one. And yet less than 1% of the characters that we see see on screen are portrayed with a disability, whether visible Mm -hmm. or invisible. So we've got this huge aspect of the population that's not being represented or shown in the media. Um, And a lot of times the, I guess the, the easy excuse that, uh, people have used was, oh, we just couldn't find 
something, something, you know, so we hired Brian Cranston to sit in a wheelchair instead because we couldn't find a, you know, qualified person uh, who actually has, you know, a, a mobility disability to play the role. So we wanted to try to answer for that excuse instead of leaving people with this feeling that they couldn't find a talented disabled performer to play a role of a, you know, disabled story. Um, we wanted to give them a one-stop shop to find them. So um, with some other disabled actors, we collaborated on creating the Disabled Voice Actors Database. So it's free for actors to list themselves in the database. And it's also free for casting directors, directors, producers, anyone kind of in the entertainment sphere who is in some sort of hiring position for actors. It's free for them to access it. And they can sort the database by gender, location, age, um, different types of disabilities. And we gave people the opportunity to not only, you know, kind of choose their disability from like a pull down box so that it's easy, you know, to be sorted and found. But we also gave people just some free space to like, tell us about your disability in your own words, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that addresses, you know, similar to what you were saying, like, you want to continue living and working with Crohn's and one side is just saying, well, most people just go on disability. And it's like, well, what are the other options, right? So we gave room for people to tell their story about like, you know, what, what they are and are not comfortable with, or like what they feel that they can and cannot do, or what accommodations they might need to be successful. Um, we launched at the end of, uh, December of 2022, right in line with, um, International Day of People with Disabilities. Uh, we have just over, uh, 550 actors listed in the database now, um, all across the country and actually some international actors as well. And as of last month, we had just over 85 companies, studios, casting directors, um, who had requested access to use the database in their kind of day-to-day talent search opportunities. Um, so it's been a, li- it's been a labor of love. <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Um, but I'm very proud to collaborate on it with, um, the other folks who kind of volunteered to be the admins of this resource. Well, and thank you. Honestly, thank you because it, it- it's not just one industry, all industries, we can help each other, the disability community. So we can be more visible. So we can talk about it and say, Hey, you know what? I can work. I'm not useless or I have many options. I just need some sort of an accommodation. And then of course, in a world like Hollywood or acting Broadway, you know, for those of us who love Broadway, when you can see somebody that's like yourself, it goes so far. I talked to so many people, especially on this show about Selena Gomez and uh, Christina Applegate. It meant so much to me because I've hidden throughout my life every time I have to go on prednisone and I turn into a hermit because I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want to talk about it. I'm ashamed. And I've seen them step out onto the screen, very proud and not apologizing for being on prednisone. And, you know, that has done so much for me to feel better about myself. So that representation seeing other people who are suffering from disabilities, whether they be invisible or not, who are dealing with life and doing it well, I think is really important. And I I applaud you for doing that because there's so many people out there who are ready to work and who are ready to show themselves and be open and, and be that person that's yeah. a representation for Absolutely. the disability. I mean, seeing, seeing yourself represented in, 
in the media or, you know, in celebrities and household names is just so affirming and knowing that you're not alone. And Mm -hmm. I think also it shows that it's still possible to be successful while managing your disability and shows that, you know, everyone has good days and bad days, right? Even, even, uh, I, I thought that, um, Lady Gaga's documentary where she really opened up about her struggle with fibromyalgia Mm. and, you know, how she really had to stop to take care of herself and she needed to budget time in her day for massage therapy in order to be able to perform at night. Um, Another kind of touchstone moment for me was seeing Selma Blair on Dancing with the Stars using a mobility aid, Um, you know, having having a a cane on a dancing show like that shouldn't be revolutionary. Like I shouldn't be I shouldn't be calling that out as like a cultural touchstone in 2023. But it was it absolutely was. Or Ali Stroker, who's a wheelchair user, uh, you know, winning a Tony Award. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that the, the fact that she had been the first person on Broadway in a wheelchair who needed to use a wheelchair as opposed to a wheelchair being a prop um, when she appeared in Deaf West production of spring awakening. Um, You know, that was circa, I think probably 2016 or 2017. That's wild. Broadway performances have been going on since, I don't know, the, the beginning of musical theater is like showboat in like 1930 something. And I think she was truly the first actor who needs to use a wheelchair in a wheelchair on a stage. Wild, wild. You know, it and really how, is. and how, um, how revolutionary it was, and to see her win a Tony Award for her work in Oklahoma was just so uh, affirming. And mm-hmm. um, to have to have the fact that she was in a wheelchair not even be an important part of the character. She's just a great singer and a great actor. Like that's yes. that's important too. Seeing disabled people just existing. Yes. Disabled people are parents. Disabled people are someone's child. Disabled people are your friends, your coworkers. Um, there was a show on Hulu uh, that uh, Julie Klausner and Billy Eichner were on. It was a very uh, acerbic, satirical show rooted in pop culture. And there was a fantastic uh, disabled actress named Shannon DeVito, who's a wheelchair user in one episode. And she was the mean girl. <laughs> she was nasty and was like the nemesis of the main characters. And I just loved that. The fact that she was in a wheelchair and the fact that she was disabled was not at, it was never discussed because she was just the person who was ruining their day. Like how great to just be the arch villain who just happens to roll by, you know, Mm -hmm. we need more of that. I should be able to name a hundred of those, you know, instead of just being able to call out one or two. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because sometimes I think we feel that our disability defines us, but often it's just because other people are defining us by our disability. It's the other way around. And I have more stories to tell than just I'm a Crohn's patient who survived drug-induced lupus. Right. You know, so that's so important. Well, thank you so much. Um, You're really inspiring. This was so much uh, great information. I love learning about the disability database. So where can everybody find you? For sure. So um, my website is voicebymaria.com and you can find the Disabled Voice Actors database if that's something you're interested in. It's just disabledvoiceactors.com. Um, and then I'm on social media at Maria Pendo, P-E-N-D-O. So feel free to follow me on Instagram or TikTok. And I'm also happy to connect with people on LinkedIn.
Thank you so much for being here today. This was a really great interview and hopefully we can speak again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.